0: Good morning, Arbor Church. Morning. I didn't get my warm, loud greeting this morning, Garrett, about scared me this morning first service when he yelled it out. Woo! And it like made me jump out of my Woo! shoes. Oh, there it is. Thank you, Garrett. Sorry, I was out here. It's all right. I'm feeling much more at home now. Thank you. Love you too, man. You can leave now. It's all good. We love you though. <laughs> it's like it's like dealing with a child sometimes. My name is Scott. For those of you who are new here today, welcome to Arbor. Um, I've been at Arbor for about a year and a half now. I've been uh, privileged enough to be able to speak on Sunday mornings, and today I'm excited to start with you a new series. Before we delve into that, I do want to take a moment just to recognize that this is Memorial Day weekend. It's a weekend where we give thanks and remembrance to those who laid down their lives so that we could have the freedoms to do such things as this. Um, I think it's appropriate that as we're going to be talking about salvation today, that we have family members and loved ones across this world and country that put down their lives so that we could be saved from the evils of the world around us and to have the freedoms that we have today. So I do not want that to go unnoticed. And if you have family members that have done that, thank you, our gratitude for you. Like I said, we're starting a new series this week This week called Savor, the idea of delighting. We're gonna have several different topics. Today, we're talking about savor salvation. In the weeks to come, we're gonna be looking about savor peace, time, freedom, the Word of God. But today we're going to dive into savor salvation. And I want to put it out there right away, right out front, that this is not an easy thing to do. It's very it's, I've been a little bit scattered all week, um, not just with work and life and things, but this idea of how do I take a topic of salvation that's so grandeur and majestic and so mysterious and create a feeling of savor around that without trying to figure out some earthly analogies. or There's just, just not enough words to do that. There's not enough emotion inside of us to truly grasp the full concept of salvation, what it does to that and why we should save her. So we're left with our own finite earthly imaginations and wisdoms to experience that and for me to try to stand here and share that with you. So I'll do my best to do that. Um, I might be a little bit scattered and rambling as we go through this today, but I, my hope is at the end, we begin to understand the concept of savor, salvation. We've got a story out of the scripture that'll help us do that. First, I'd like to break down the word savor. Savor is one of those unique words that both is both a noun and a verb. Now, in today's Society, that's not too much of an anomaly because we've turned nouns into verbs and verbs into noun all the time thanks to Instagram and Facebook. Did you Facebook that? Did you Instagram that? We've turned all these little things into verbs. So any noun now can become a verb. Um, I hear it all the time at my school. But this is a unique word in that it really is a noun and a verb. The idea of the noun part of savor is that it is a particular flavor or smell, a distinctive quality. For me... I think of my grandpa Smith, who smoked a pipe. And I don't know if anybody in your life or family or experience has smoked a pipe, but for me, it's that very distinctive, sweet smell of tobacco that comes from a pipe. Much different than cigar or cigarette or the funny weed or any of that stuff, which we've become more familiar with in our society these days. I loved the smell of that pipe when I went to my grandpa's house. You walked into the house, you could smell it. When he gave you a hug, it was in his clothes. When I sat on the front porch in the summer with my grandpa listening to the Cubs game on the radio, having to keep the scorecard just exactly right for grandpa, him sitting there smoking his pipe are some of the best memories I have. And I'd spend a week in the summer at grandma and grandpa's house and he'd come out and pitch wiffle ball with us with a pipe. And so that smell was everywhere. And when, at the end of the week when I'd pack my clothes up in my suitcase and I'd get home and I'd throw the suitcase on my bed and open it up to take all the clothes down to my mom to wash, I could smell the pipe. I could smell it on the clothes and I'd keep one shirt out in bed with me for like as many weeks as I could to try to just savor the memory that that distinctive smell brought back to me for my grandpa. That's the idea of savor. It's when something in your life is so profound and overwhelming and majestic and just wonderful and delightful that things trigger it and you feel that sense of savor again. That's that noun. To savor as a verb is to taste and smell with pleasure, to delight in something. This can be done in all sorts of settings. It can be done in natural wonders when you're out in the mountains hiking and you see majestic peaks or when you're on a river and you're seeing the beauty of wildlife or anything in in nature that brings out the wonder of it and you're just in awe and majesty. It can be an emotional experience that you have with a family, a happy, joyful time. Maybe it's around the Christmas tree in the morning on Christmas day. Maybe it's an Easter egg hunt. Maybe it's a vacation that actually went really well with all the kids and there's joyful moments along the way. And you savor that, which is why you get so angry when they're arguing with each other in the backseat because I'll turn this car around right now, I'll do it. And then those moments when they're just all getting along and you savor that as a parent. But for me, The verb of savoring is more about eating food, particularly eating barbecue. I love me some barbecue, especially when my good friend Joey Walker barbecues. This guy can barbecue any meat you put on the grill and it will taste good and it, I mean, comes down to ribs, tri-tip, um, pork shoulder, shredded pork, chicken, whatever you wanna put on that grill, it turns out magical, and it's just wonderful. That meat comes off, we start eating it, and I realize right now, for those vegetarians in the room, I'm sorry. You know, public announcement that the views being shared by Scott right now and his story are not expressive of all people at Arbor at all, but are exclusively Scott's and his own. So if I'm stepping on some toes about my love of meat, Uh, we can have a conversation afterwards. I believe um, if we didn't eat, you know, weren't supposed to eat meat, animals wouldn't be made out of them. So that's kind of how I roll. That's how I grew up. But I accept everybody for whatever you are. And I do eat a lot more greens and salads in my life these days. I've come to appreciate that. But that barbecue, I savor that time. And you know, it is a little bit of a natural wonder, that cows and pigs can actually taste that good. It really is part of an emotional experience because I've cried eating barbecue before. <laughs> I, I mean, confession's good for the soul, bad for the reputation, but it's just so good. And I'm eating those ribs, all right? And I'm pulling that tri-tip off and it's just overwhelming. The tears are coming to my eyes and it's not from the smoke of the barbecue. It's just from, it's just so doggone good. Joey, I love you wherever you are. <laughs> we got a barbecue again. But it's more than that. I'm savoring in the taste of the food, but I'm also savoring in the conversations, the laughter, our kids hanging out, the fact that we have been family for almost 20 years now with these people. That savor. And we all have parts of our life that our mind and emotions and feelings can go to where we're like, oh yeah, that was good. That was so good. That's what I hope to accomplish today when we're looking at salvation. But how do you do that with something so life-changing and miraculous as salvation? Well, we're going to use a story in scripture about a woman, a woman of the night, known in her town to be a sinner, who comes into a gathering where Jesus is at as a guest of a Pharisee or religious leader and performs a humble act of worship that is ridiculed by the pious people in the room. And the story, I hope, will reveal the magnificence of salvation and how we go about living with a savoring heart of what salvation is. Let's pray. God, it's a difficult topic to wrestle with today. I've been all over the map this week with this, and I'm sure I will be today, so I pray, God, that you'd move me out of the way and we'd hear what you want to say. I pray that you would give us ears that want to hear, hearts that want to listen, and feet that want to put into action what we learn today. I thank you, Jesus, that we'll hear from you in your name. Amen. Our central passage today is Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. I want to read the whole passage to you so you get the whole context of the story, and then we're going to break it down through chunks today. Verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. In those days, they didn't sit down in chairs. They actually laid down. The tables were real low and they laid down at them with their feet pointing away from the table, either on their stomach or their sides. It's just a very cultural thing that oftentimes we don't have that picture in our minds of how they're reclining at a table. A woman in that town who'd lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Very expensive. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him in saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50, about five years of salary versus one. Then one of them had the money, not, neither one of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both people. Now, which of them loved him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the biggest debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In our culture, this is a very strange story because culturally, it just is out of context. People are kind of laying around a table eating food. Somebody comes in and starts crying at the feet of somebody, washing their feet, putting perfume on their feet. But you have to understand in the times when you invited somebody into your home for dinner, it was customary to wash their feet because they walked in sandals and cleaned their feet in the dust off. It was customary to greet them into their home with a kiss on each cheek and an embrace saying, you're part of our family now. You're under our protection here. Then there's the part of anointing the head with oil, which kind of got some of the dust and the grease and stuff out of the hair to be relaxed at the dinner table and gave a nice aroma around the table. Those are the customary things that didn't happen in this story when Jesus entered the home. And so this woman enters and begins doing it in an uncustomary way. And folks, salvation is an uncustomary thing. And we're going to look through that. And you have to understand the heart of that. Savior requires some key things when it comes to salvation. A recognition of who I am without Christ and who I can be in Christ. A recognition that without Christ, I'm lost. That with Christ, I'm saved, found, redeemed. It's an acceptance of Jesus and a humility and gratitude, not expectations and demand. It's a worship of Jesus for who he is, not who I want him to be. You have to understand those nuances because the woman lived in the first things I said, the Pharisee, Simon, was living in the others. And we're gonna break that down as we go through today because if you don't get the essence of that, you don't get the essence of savior. The woman in the story showed authentic humble gratitude for the person of Jesus and who he was, savior. Someone to be worshiped. This view is opposed by the pious view of the Pharisee Simon that Jesus was this mystery man of miracles, someone to be watched closely. See, Pharisees in the days were the height of religious piety. They walked around the town and were looked up to. They put their holiness and their religiousness on display for everybody to see. They were the ones that could not figure out who Jesus was because he did not fit into their expectations and norms of the Messiah but the broken, hurt, lost people of society flocked to Jesus because he was everything religion wasn't. He was about relationship and healing and speaking and feeding and helping because it wasn't about religion. It was about relationship. And the Pharisee in the story was not getting that. Let's look a little bit closely now at verse 38 and 39 of Luke 7. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Do you see the humility and gratitude that even now the feet of the Savior are worthy enough for me to kiss and anoint the dirty feet? Whereas, compared to Simon the Pharisee in verse 39, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. There's a significant difference there. The woman came in wonder and worship, Simon was there being wary and watchful. There's a difference. She was there in wonder and worship versus a Pharisee who was there in wariness and watchfulness. Wonder leads to humility, gratitude, and worship. Being wary leads to pride, expectations, and doubt. I believe that we drift away from savoring salvation because we begin to see Jesus through this logical, thinking, expectation quadrant of a Pharisee. And as much as thinking and theology and logic is important, savor is connected to experience and emotion from that quadrant. Savor will always be rooted in the heart, the emotion and what we feel and experience. Now it can be grown and developed and appreciated by logic and thinking and theology, but that's not its root. And in this moment, you see the root of a woman living in wonder and the root of a religious educated man living in a state of wariness and watchfulness. It can lead us down a road of wariness to cynicism or wonder to delight. Without delight, we fall into doubt. And with doubt, we definitely cannot savor. I go back to my example of food because I think you're gonna find out I like really good food. I do not know how to make good food. I'm a terrible cook. I don't even know how to name a spice. I tried to say a spice this morning. I said, pumpernickel. And that's a bread, I guess, somebody said. I don't know if it's made out of pumper or out of nickel, but together it's really good bread. I don't even know. See, thank you for laughing, I appreciate that. I don't know how to spice things just right. We we eat very bland food in my house. About the best three items I can make is a really good avocado egg breakfast sandwich that my kids love in the morning. All right, got some good butter on it too. I make a mean set of pancakes and I do really good, all right, with spaghetti. That's my bragging points when it comes to food, all right? But there are some people in this world that they know food. Oh man, they know food. They know the spices, They know what to put in food, what spices to go with what, how to pair it with this, how to pair it with that. And they're they're amazing. And I go out to eat with them sometimes and we're eating this meal and I'm like, man, this is good stuff. And I'm having a blast. Like, I I taste a bit too much of whatever it is or a little bit too much of, I should have used more of this. I think they, I don't even, see, that's how dumb I am. I don't know the words they're using. All I know is that they're really irritating me because I'm just trying to savor the meal we're eating and they're over critiquing it, like all that stuff which we need in life. Otherwise, we're all eating just plain spaghetti, which isn't fun for anybody. But my point is this. How often in life with our salvation and our walk with Jesus do we get to nitpicking, critiquing, and expecting, looking for this? Oh, more of that, more of that, less of this, da-da-da, instead of just stopping and going, wow. Jesus, the son of God, invited me into relationship with him for eternity, unfiltered access, any time of the day, anywhere, anytime. And we get so overwhelmed with critiquing and thinking about things that we forget to just stop and live in the moment I'm redeemed, I'm saved. He came to earth for us, for me, for you. We do not need to be a food critic. We need to be more of a food junkie. Just love to be around food and people and celebrate it and enjoy it. We could say the same thing in Seattle about coffee. Don't even get me going. Saw some guy return a coffee the other day because it had too much foam in it. I don't drink coffee, so I don't know what too much foam is or the cinnamon wasn't swirled properly into it. I I don't know. You can do the same thing with anything in your life, adult beverages, don't go out with people that really are picky about wine or anything, I don't know. But we can all draw these analogies and this is the essence of what's happening in this story. In fact, let's get back to the story and look at verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, duh, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. He passed the jeopardy question right there. Why why would Jesus ask that question to make that point in that moment as the woman was anointing his feet and Simon's thinking, oh, Jesus, you should know what's going on here. He never said it out loud. He thought it, but Jesus knew he thought it. So he addressed it. Because as Simon even admits that those who have been forgiven a lot will appreciate a lot more. He's not connecting the dots. And by the way, this isn't saying that you can't appreciate Jesus if you haven't been forgiven much. Because in Simon's mind, there's a level of sins in the world right now. And this woman is the epitome of sinfulness. Folks, salvation doesn't see levels of sinfulness. It sees sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He doesn't level it up or register it or count it. He looks at all of us and even in our best selves, we we pale in comparison to the majesty of Jesus. And what he's trying to get Simon to see in this moment is this. We are all in need of redemption. Whether it's 50 denarii or 500, Simon, I'm not looking at what you owe, I'm looking at what you can't pay back. You can't pay your debt, Simon, no more than she can pay her debt. We are all debtors and we all owe Jesus. We were bought with a price, his life. And because of that, we should be like these debtors dancing down the streets that we are no longer in debt. We are now free to celebrate and live in Christ. Everyone knew this woman had many sins. She more than anyone She responds to this by expressing lavish love upon Jesus. And in that moment, she was expressing her brokenness and worship of Jesus. Christ was willing to forgive Simon just as much as the woman, but Simon couldn't get past the other person's sinfulness to enter his own. This woman knew it right away. It's not the amount of debt that causes one to save her salvation, it's the recognition and acceptance of who you are without Jesus and who you become with Jesus. And if you can truly grasp that, you will then learn to delight and savor salvation because it's about who Jesus is and what he did for you. See, savor is ruined by our pride, but savor is renewed by humility. It is Ruined by our pride, it is renewed by our humility. Don't let the pride of who you think you are and how well you've lived a life and how much you've accomplished and how holy you're living to make you think that you've arrived. Because without Jesus, we're all, bo- we're all back to being broken, lost, sinful debtors. Everybody in this room is on equal footing when it comes to Jesus. All of us. And that should be room for room. That should be room for savoring and praise and gratefulness. Savor is ruined by pride and our condition and place in life, and becomes cynicism. But savor renewed by humility becomes worship. She came in wonder and worship. He came wary and watchful. Prove it to me. She came wonder and worship. I want to prove my gratitude my appreciation. I taught PE and health in Montana for many years. One year, my school counselor, name's Kathy, one of the best people I've ever known in life, came to me and said, we're getting a new student and I'm gonna place her in your health and PE class, but I need your help. I'm like, okay, what? She goes, this is, girl's really in a bad spot. she has been in foster care for about eight months because they found her and her two little siblings living in a RV type thing by themselves, mom had just left them. It's turned out that CPS is involved because her mom's boyfriend has been abusing the children and raping Marion for years. She's coming to us, this broken, angry girl, and she's gonna be really hard to work with. I said, well, let's do it, we can. So we created a team of teachers that made it our goal to try to help Marion. That was not easy. She came to school angry. Her first day in my class, she had this big sweatshirt on, hood pulled over, baggy sweatpants, went and sat in the far corner of the room. She was disheveled, to be honest, she was smelly. You could barely see any of her face. Kids started coming into the room noticing already this person knew and they kind of filled the front of the room and worked their way to the back with nobody wanting to sit back there and they scooched their desk away from her. And I'd like to say that I did something profound that first day or two to get through to Marion, but I didn't. The next few weeks and even couple months were difficult. Many times I got cussed out by Marion. She'd flip me off a few times. She'd leave school. She'd skip class. We'd have to go find her in the morning to get her to school it was exhausting, tiring work because this girl was just angry, broken, untrustful, had nothing left to hope for on earth, given her story and what had happened to her. Partway through the school year, I was asked to go to court to be a witness for Marion and how she was improving at school, and she had to go to court to provide witness against her accuser and her mom at 13 years old. She sat in a courtroom and divulged the story of what had happened to her and her siblings only to have her mom stand up in court and start cussing her out, calling her a liar and saying, I don't ever want you in my life again. So the court's obliged. And Mary was placed in permanent foster care as a 13-year-old signed away her mom's rights and became a ward of the state. Abandonment. Broken, lost. Over the next few months, all her efforts, Marion began to come out of her shell a little bit. She began to socialize more. We saw some growth, but we still saw a big wall of defensiveness around her. And I went to my friend, Wayne Brownson, who was the music teacher at the school, and him and I ran a summer camp together. I said, Wayne, we got to get Marion to camp this summer. We got to find a scholarship. I'll put in some money. You put in some money. We got to get her to camp. He's like, all right, let's get it done. So we got the money raised, we got the forms filled out, we got her foster parents assigned, and about a month before she went to camp, Marion became the face of a movement in Billings called Forever Families for adopting teen kids. I don't know if you know this today, but teenagers are one of the most unadopted student children in our country right now. And she became the face of this publicity in in Billings and across Montana called Forever Child. She did a commercial that I'm looking for a forever family. I want to be adopted. And she developed this hope that I want to be a forever family. And about a month before camp, she went to a family that was interested and she lived with them for three or four weeks. Things went sideways. She had a meltdown. She ran away. They kicked her out. They didn't want her back. That's how she's coming to camp that summer. I imagine that's how this woman entered the life of Jesus. This shame, this embarrassment, this emptiness, this sense of nobody wants me. I'm out here on my own. I share that with you because we don't need a tragic story in our life to savor Jesus. But it does provide a level of gratitude and a glimpse of when people overcome those tragedies, trauma, hurt, and shame in their life, it allows us to get a glimpse and remind us of just what salvation is about. So, what was Jesus trying to say here? He was trying to say, until we recognize that we are all in debt as sinners, we are not that far removed from a Marian in our life and the need of a savior that we will not be able to come to him and wonder and worship because we'll be standing off in the corner being wary and watchful. Waiting for Jesus to prove something to us, to wow us to our expectations rather than be wowed by what has happened right in front of our eyes. Verse 44. Then Jesus turned towards a woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman Do you see this woman, Simon? Not the woman you're thinking about in my head, but the woman right here in front of you. I know how you see her, but let me tell you how I see her. Because the world will tell you they see you one way, people, but Jesus sees you a different way. And this is another level of understanding how to savor, understanding how Jesus sees you. Not how the world has told you you are, not the messages you've received, but how you see you. Jesus says, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has anointed, she has perf- poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So what if I'm sitting here feeling like I've been forgiven little? Can I not show it? No, you're missing the point of the story. The point of the story is this. Simon, quit looking at everything you think you've done because I see it right through you and I know what you haven't done. And I see who you truly can be, Simon, just as you see this woman as a sinner, as a harlot, as a prostitute, I see a person in wonder and worship renewed and a child of God. Supposedly, they interviewed 1,500 seniors in Minnesota back in the early 80s, sorry, kindergartners. And they interviewed these kindergartners and asked them, do you like who you are? And over 90% of these kindergartners said, yes, I like who I am. Years later, they went and found as many of those kindergartners who are now seniors and asked them the same question, do you like who you are? And only 46% of them said, yes, I like who I am. Folks, we get messages between kindergarten and our senior years about who we are and who we think we are. And I'm telling you, that is what stops you from savoring salvation because you need to know who Jesus thinks you are. You are a person worth his life. He gave it for you. In this this passage, Jesus points out that when he entered Simon's house, Simon had not shown any of the customary courtesies that he should have shown. But a woman who was not invited into the house showed more than the customary courtesies. Simon did not see a need for a savior, so he could not see Jesus as the savior. The woman could only see her need for a savior. So she unabashedly worshiped Jesus as the Savior. Jesus is making the point that if we are not each aware of how great our own sin debt is to God in His eyes, we will not have a proper degree of love and gratitude to God for the mercy that He has shown us in making forgiveness of that debt possible for Jesus' sake. Savior resides in this awareness. Romans 10, 9 through 11 says this, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Savor resides in the heart, not the mind. You can't think your way to savor. You have to have had experienced it, lived it, breathed it, tasted it. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Shame and disgrace don't define us. Grace and acceptance do. For Jesus has borne our shame and one day he will eradicate sin once and for all. We need to recognize I'm a sinner, accept Jesus as Savior. In brokenness, come to him for help. Worship him daily and savor the whole experience of salvation. Jesus saves, folks. He rescues us from our biggest enemy, ourselves. From the day he knelt in the garden of Eden at a river and breathed life into a lump of clay that he molded from water and dirt and shaped into a man and breathed life into oppressing his lips against the nothingness and bringing to life to be able to communicate, walk, live, fellowship, have relationship with him. Only watch man reject him. Only to come down to earth as a carpenter and be ridiculed and to be crucified. Why? All to save you. That should move you. If that doesn't light a fire underneath you, then your wood's wet. And you better get some dry wood. Because Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's as simple as childlike faith, yet we try to savor in this adult mindset when we need to just act like child sometime. I'm a principal in elementary school and I do a lot of silly things. One of the silliest things I do is dance. And if you saw me dance, I don't think you'd say it was silly. I think you'd say it was like Elaine from Seinfeld, a full dry body heave. (laughs) A whole body dry, whatever that was. How many seen that episode? Any Seinfeld fans? I know Garrett is, he's not in here right now. My dancing is not pretty, it's like two left feet. But I love to dance. And I love to dance with my elementary students because they think it's hilarious. And on Fridays we go in the cafeteria and we turn up the music sometimes and we dance. And we just groove and we move. In the assembly, sometimes we turn the music up and we dance and we move. Because when you dance with kids, you can't help but laugh and feel energized and joyful. And man, you savor those moments. But don't be mistaken that when I say savor, I'm saying you have to live on some mountaintop experience of always in this, oh, joyful awe moment. Because when I go back to my grandpa's house in my memory and the family reunions, I saw my grandma sitting in the corner just smiling, just taking it all in. She was savoring. I'd see my uncle in the corner showing us some silly magic trick and laughing with us and joking with us and we're all jumping around being silly with him. Savoring. I was out in the yard running around with my shirt off being whatever hyperactive kid I do, throwing rocks or something, savoring the freedom of family reunion at grandpa's house. You all are going to experience that savor in a different way and express it in a different way, but it's all rooted in the same thing. Humility, humbleness. I am nothing. I am unworthy without Jesus. But with Jesus, I am worthy. I am born again. I am redeemed. I'm a child of God. I'm an equal heir. I have access to heaven. I have unlimited power through the Holy Spirit. That is salvation. Look at verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Salvation equals forgiveness. Faith, peace. If you do not understand that and grasp that, I cannot get you to understand savor. But I imagine many of you do understand that. We just drift from it. How do we forget this? What is this forgiveness that we take for granted? How is it we end up on the seat looking at others instead of ourselves? I think it's the busyness of life. I think we begin to think we can do it on our own and we forget as they say in Ephesians 2, eight and nine as Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, eight and nine, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not from yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Grace is unmerited favor, undeserved. Undeserved. Always given out. Equally, equally to everybody. And we forget that. I know I forget it. And the end of Marion's story reminded me of how quickly I forgot it. She came to camp. The first two days were not very easy. I had all these expectations that she'd just like come to camp, she'd encounter all the love of God, she'd see all this great stuff and she'd just be changed, boom. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't understand the depth of brokenness at that point in my life. She hung to the side of everything. Any activity she was outside of, when her cabin group get together and talk, she'd sit in the corner. She wouldn't open up. She wouldn't talk much. Finally, by the second night, she was talking a little bit with her counselor. Wednesday night came. Wednesdays at summer camp for us were traditionally the salvation message at summer camp. The night where we prayed all day for kids that would come to know Jesus as their savior. And Marian was at the top of our list. Well, chapel's going on. I'm the program director, I actually stepped out early, went up the hill to make sure that the game that was going on after chapel was ready because there's nothing like celebrating a salvation message with kids getting ushered into heaven to hurrying them out the door to forget about that to go play a game. I don't know why we do that at camp, it's just the way things are done. And as I'm in the hurriness and the busyness of saying, hey, we need to get this done, this done, or these things done, and I'm on our radio talking to people, getting people running around going. I instantly went from the wonder and hope of a salvation message to the busyness and occupation of a program director. And I'm walking down the hill towards chapel with my bullhorn in one hand, my radio in the other, in a zone of, are we getting ready for what's coming? All these things we need to do, and there's 150 junior hires, being told about the love of Jesus, and it's about as far from my brain as it could be. And I'm walking down that hill, and I'm just getting ready to get on the radio, and all of a sudden the door of the chapel opens up, and Marion comes running out. And I'm like, "Oh crap!" And she yells, "Mr. H, Mr. H!" I'm like, "Yeah, Marion, what's up? Come here." I'm like, well, I'm walking down the hill. She keeps running. She comes, she gives me this big bear hug. And she's just shaking. She goes, I have a forever family. And I'm like, holy cow, did we get a phone call from somebody that, like, what just happened? This is like before texting or anything. I'm like, and I'm automatically going, you mean someone's adopting you? I found my real father. He loves me. He died for me and I have a forever family now. You're part of my family. Mr. Brownson's part of my family. I have a forever family. We all savor differently, people. I'm a crier. When I savor things, tears come to my eyes. I watch Rocky, I'll still cry. (laughs) I watch Lord of the Rings, I'll cry. I didn't cry at Avengers. Other people jump up and down and celebrate. Hey, I can do that too. I'm enthusiastic. Some of us just sit and just go, wow, thank you. There is not, this is not a message about how you should savor. This is a message of we need to savor. And we don't. We have been given the greatest gift to mankind Redemption, rebirth, renewal, eternity. And in that moment, I was snapped away from all that wasn't important, away from all the ingredients that makes food great, away from all the busyness that makes me good at my job, away from everything that in adult life matters to the simple childlike joy. I got a family. I'm going to heaven. I got Jesus. I got a father. And you couldn't help but jump up and down as she quit hugging me and ran up the hill over her shoulder yelling, where's Mr. Brownson? I go, he's in the cafeteria. She goes, I'm going there. (laughs) She didn't care about the game. She didn't care about anything else. And I walked down to that chapel and kids were jumping up and down and singing. Save her. And that experience, that feeling, is where Savior resides. And for some of us, we don't get enough time with Jesus to recognize just how much He loves you, just how much you need Him, just how much He wants you. We need to have times where we have emotions of authentic gratitude with Jesus. We need to have experiences to remember what I'm like without Jesus and who I am with Jesus. And then we create time to just worship and wonder for who he is. Because folks, if you can't savor salvation, if you can't delight in Jesus, I don't know what's worth savoring beyond that. It is the top of the heap. And my prayer for you is not to have you walk out of here feeling bad, but to have you come to a realization and maybe this woke you up and you're like, wow, I am saved. I am redeemed. I'm going to heaven. I can talk to God about anything. I am strong enough. And he tells you, you can do it. You can make it. I believe in you. I don't care what the world says. I don't care how you're persecuted. I don't care what you're fighting or battling. I got your back because you're a child of God. And no one can take you out of my hand ever. That is savoring. That is salvation. As David said in Psalm 34 I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved me out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And as Jesus said to a woman of the night, who is known throughout the town? Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Have we become too much like Simon? Or are we more like the woman? Where we can go to Jesus and just savor what he's done for us. Let's pray.